heat's on, dried up, mad cops, draw guns, flat top, kill bud, ain't it a drag? No drugs, straight laced, straight up, my last good lover's gone. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Tell You What, the podcast, where we talk with young songwriters about the craft of songwriting, live music performance, and all of the other things. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or tellyouwhatpodcast.com. I'm joined here in the Tell You What studios right now for this intro session recording by the executive producer of our podcast. Susan also doubles as the lighting tech for the live shows that we host here. I'm not sure if she's going to say anything or make any noise. Nope. She's rolling. Well, she just said something, but evidently she is, she is not actually going to say anything. Uh, but I'm glad she's here. My guests for this episode of Tell You What are Joe Firstman and Luca Soria, two of the principal songwriters for the Nashville-based band Cordovas. Joe Firstman was born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. In 2000, he moved to Los Angeles to pursue his music career and was, just a year later, named Singer Songwriter of the Year at the LA Music Awards. He then signed a major label deal with Atlantic Records, releasing a couple of highly praised albums. In 2005, Joe became the house band leader for NBC TV show Last Call with Carson Daly, working with some amazing musicians over the next five years. He continued to release solo recordings over this time, before eventually forming Cordova's in Nashville. Joe also runs a music festival every winter in Mexico. For the last few years, the Cordova's have all spent several months together there. Luca Soria is a sharply talented songwriter at the young age of 24. Raised in Iowa, Luca wrote and performed in several bands and as a solo act before meeting up with Joe to work with Cordova's. I must say, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I was entertained all the way through it. At one point, Joe was showing us a live video feed of his six-month-old daughter. Later, he was in the middle of a discussion about an unnamed musician whose live performances are not up to Joe's standards when he noticed that very musician's name on the bottom of a tour poster in our recording studio. Joe's had an interesting career in the music industry, and he's a lot, he has a lot to say about music, the creative process, performance. There is certainly no denying his passion for and his commitment to his art. I had a number of spirited conversations with Joe about music while the band was here at the house. That spirit definitely comes through in our recorded chat. Luca's laid-back vibe was an interesting counterpoint to Joe's energetic demeanor. Cordova's have a brand new album out as of August 2018 called That Santa Fe Channel. It was produced by Kenneth Pattengale of the Milk Carton Kids. It is a great record. I have been listening to it a lot, and it is one of those albums that I find I like more and more with repeated listenings. Let me also say that I had the pleasure of taking in two Cordova's live shows while they were in town. And for all the talk in this episode of authenticity and connecting with your audience, these guys really bring it. They were among the best shows I've seen in quite some time. So let's get to it. Here is our discussion with Joe Firstman and Luca Soria of Cordova's. This town's a drag, no love, too cool, froze up, highbrow, nose up, bring some if he shows up. 
who's up? Joe and Luca, welcome to Tell You What podcast. Thank you for joining me in the newly refurbished Tell You What studios. Yeah, the 151st floor of the Epiplex. <laughs> it's pretty nice up here. The view is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's dive right in. I usually start by talking about your backgrounds, but I have a specific question for you, Joe, because uh, according to the internet, your parents were an opera singer and a chess player. Mm-hmm. And you tell me this is correct. Yeah. So do you see any parallels between chess strategy uh, or that mindset of a chess player and music performance and or writing? I mean, I best might answer the question by saying my dad's a very good musician also. Okay. Um, and then, you know, we get into a higher thought on that. Yes, of course. Chess is music, is conversation, is gardening, all the deals, love making, all the stuff. There, there's patterns. There's you can't you know in chess you can't uh, develop the word in chess is fianchetto. This is like a word that my dad loved. Fianchetto. Your pieces, fianchetto. Your pieces uh, all at once. You have to have a strategy. It's the same thing as a song. The same thing as a relationship. You can't just throw it all at the person. They get overwhelmed. So writing a song, you have to have that kind of a strategy. You're saying you have to have a strategy. Yes, some discipline is going to be good for art with boundaries, mm-hmm. in, unless it's just completely open art life. Do what you want. Right. It's cool too. It doesn't matter. So I assume then that there was a lot of music in your house growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, any particular styles that you were exposed to then, or was it kind of opera? <laughs> Literally yeah, opera. Like opera, man. Yeah. I mean, we there was opera rehearsing going on at. Probably seven o'clock, in your house. Yeah, a.m. More more mornings than I could re- remember. So you get a good sense of the, you're, you're not so tricked into having to hear those pop sequences, and your your ears stretching out a little bit. And then I was in the choir, you know, in Temple with my mom. Okay, she was the leader of the thing, you know, and uh, so I had some extra chops added in there, probably harmony. Harmony, melody, and, and familiarity with uh, and very different intervals. Oh, okay. Certainly in uh, religious music, you know, you had all these different kinds of intervals that, that mattered. Mm-hmm. You know, it will definitely matter when you're trying to strengthen your ear for a musical career. How about you, Luca? Back background in your house growing up, a lot of music, or you grew up in Iowa? Do I have that correct? Yes, and we grew up on a on a farm. It's non non functional farm. We didn't have any crops. I mean, we had chickens and stuff. And there was one of one of the buildings on the property was converted by um, my parents into a, basically like a drum room, and then there was a bass amp in there. And because your parents were musicians, because, or yeah, my dad likes to play the drums. Okay, and so so that's kind of where I entered into playing music was like putting on putting on a record and trying playing to play along. the exact beat or whatever you know figuring out what the beat was and playing it were there styles of music that your parents exposed you to early on in particular or uh, they it was pretty eclectic i remember yeah. my, my dad had a, a big cd collection and most and he had like every print cd so we, it was a lot of he liked prince a lot and okay. my parents liked the police a lot uh-huh. and and popular you know popular music so you both started playing music or singing at a young age, right? When did songwriting start, Joe, for you? For me, always. I, I, I don't remember not writing songs. Huh. So From when you were a small child? From when I have memories. Yeah. You would know. you write things that then you would repeat later or just like 
make up a song and then it would go off into the wind and then were you trying, no, it wouldn't trying go to off create the wind. something? <laughs> what are you talking well, like, about? They were going to be famous songs. <laughs> of course, they still might. <laughs> I don't think I've lost anything of that. Let's see here. If I were well, let's see here. When I was in second grade or first grade, okay, because I went to the super little thing school, and I was in line and I sung. I sung my song that I had written, I'd made up yep. in the line while we were like waiting to go get water or something. And the girl in the line went, that's that's not your song. I heard that on the radio. Uh-huh. And I went, no, it's not. That's my song. <laughs> I made, I did. I made that song up. I, 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 I still Do you remember, remember that moment? Do you remember the song? Yes. Cool. Of course. Let's, let's hear it. I've had a guitar play. But, uh, <laughs> it wasn't was a bad song. It's called Number One Girl. And, um, you know, and it had like the whole hit stuff. It was. It had all the like things that were supposed to be in a song. And uh, and I didn't take that as mean at all because I I re- knew that I did write that song. Yes, it may have been sounded like something. Of course, yes. Uh, but I wrote that song, and I remember going, "Oh, that's a compliment." I think so. She's complimenting me. Yes, maybe she was seeing the future. I thought that too. <laughs> I, I, I remember standing in that line and thinking that too. Yeah. And so my brothers made up songs. I made up songs. There's a really vintage tape of me being maybe five or six, having band practice with my big brother and my little brother and getting our song going and get guitar one guitar two guitar one two three and yet we're all and i've got it record we're good to take off and then misha i was just thinking about this the other day while we're driving he starts going new york new york right in the middle of it because he had heard it on a movie or something and then i stop and start screaming i'm a little baby you know i'm like you stupid idiot those are my words you stupid idiot you ruined the whole thing like it was that important to me that that a recording session yes. go right. He was that, my, my elder don't brother. Don't mess up my song. Ooh. Yeah, man. <laughs> they used to take the they used to take the pens. At least, man, they're gonna hate me for this. They used to take the pens off my markers. You know, I like to draw yes. and leave them off. Just to <laughs> drive you so crazy. I couldn't have them. How about you, uh, Luca? When did songwriting start for you? Not not till about thirteen, fourteen. Okay. Honestly, cause still pretty young. I didn't do. Yeah, and I was writing poems and stuff okay. before that. I liked books as a kid, and but when I started playing guitar, I got into you know writing a song because it, it would learn how to play like whatever song like "Sunshine of Your Love," and I'd be like, "Oh, that's cool." How he, I see, I figure out you know how he put the song together, and right. there's different parts, and, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Now, like reverse engineered their song to sure. see how it was built. Yeah. yeah. So you wrote poetry, then you started writing songs. Did you feel as though you were still writing poetry when you wrote the songs, or was songwriting and the lyrics something different to you than poetry? It it still felt like poetry because it was all the same stuff that's mm-hmm. in poetry as in song, songwriting. Yeah, as far as I can tell, like like meter, you know. Yep. And you just fitting you know the right number of syllables in a line, mm-hmm. and you know figuring out why this line is more powerful than the other. Oh, because it's. One has, you know, five, five, five syllable, you know, lines and, and one has four syllable lines. Oh, well, that's why they don't, that's why it's not making sense to the ear. Do you still do any poetry or are you fully doing songwriting now? Some, sometimes. Poetry. So, sometimes poetry, yeah. Yeah. But not, not as much. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by, by people's, when they discuss lyrics versus poetry and what they think the difference is. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. It's different. 
And do you have any specific ways that it might be different, in your opinion? Well, first is that they better be specifically different because otherwise you're trying to straddle both lines and you're a cheesy bastard who's just trying to... You probably built up a lot of skills and some fancy rhyming skills. Mm -hmm. Um, How could you even possibly think that you're going to sit down and it's it's a song. A song's a song. It sings in your head whether it even... Before it has music or not, regardless of whether you wrote the melody or the so-and-so or the... Blah, 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 first. So you're saying there's no such thing as a poem set to music. A song is a song. A song is a song. You wrote a song. When you wrote a poem, you sat down and you wrote you a poem. Mm -hmm. Ask Langston Hughes. I mean, it just has such a different... Never works when... Oh, I based this off a poem. Sure, your chorus was or something. Right. It's it's not not what I found the way it works. They're different. They don't ever come out feeling the same. All right, let's talk about your live music experiences. Were you big show attenders growing up? Do you see a lot of shows? Live music play a big part in your development as a musician, Joe? Um, no, because we didn't. We were we didn't have the money to go to shows. We went to the tractor pull a couple years. It was mm-hmm. five bucks or free for the kids. Um, what I remember is my dad playing guitar for his friends mm-hmm. um, and my mom singing in the opera and, of course, having leads and stuff uh, in some of the work that she did over the years. Right. And, uh, well, you know, in the theater and with her lipstick and the whole stuff. How about as an adult? <laughs> as an adult, shit nope. started... Yeah. Yes, it started to, to occur to me, but it was more like, I don't know, man, by the time I'd seen anything good, I don't even remember. I mean, I, no, because I started getting in high school. No, I saw bad stuff. I saw... I saw, I saw that uh, that band where they got th- a third eye blind. Yes. Somebody took me to that in high school at, at the place in Charlotte, and I went, "Bad, <laughs> I'm, I can do this." Right. I'm a, I'm one of those guys that a lot of people have looked at me over the years and said, "He's doing it, I can do it." Mm-hmm. Good. Yes. Bring it on. Um, and 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 that's what I'm sure the third eye blind guy is saying. But um, his band sucked. You know, and they didn't have classic stuff, but I knew I could, you could tell that why they were up there. Okay, yeah. okay, they're up there, and then we got to L.A. and it was no, it was more like, man, I was too ferocious. I wanted to. I, I thought I was in a competition with everyone. So by the time you had the wherewithal to see shows, you were out there doing your own thing. Yeah, so it didn't matter. Right, it didn't matter, and I didn't. And then I finally caught some Annie Lennox at the sure. Greek swept me off my feet uh, Diana Krall at the Santa Barbara Bowl you know had me weeping you eventually started, but nothing had me it was also the first chair violin in fifth grade at Pinewood Elementary the little girl up there who so tenderly played that violin part with her the loveliness swept me off my feet just the same way so Diana Krall Annie Lennox what is it about their performances that moved you and maybe shaped how you are a performer greatness Tenderness, sincerity, beauty, and emotive, uh, all, above all, emotive quality, scoring mm-hmm. high in that emotive category. Connecting. If you can do it with an instrument, you're really bad. You're, you're a dangerous human. You can run <laughs> the world if you want. If you can do it with words, it's less hard. Right. Um, but, it's, but, but the connection of the body and the person, and remember, and the lyric and that person and how... The timelessness, the quality of the lyric, what effect the lyric has on the people, what it has on the people over time, how it grows with you. Woo! Right? <laughs> Lay the little man down there in the middle of it and let him go say his song to a few thousand people. Mm-hmm. That's good. You got something, don't you? You got a rugged, you got a rugged bad boy, don't you? You do. 
Uh, Luca, how about you? Did you see a lot of shows when you were coming up or when, when you started getting out in the, in the real world? We did. As soon as I was in like like middle school or whatever, my, my dad took me to shows as, like to the Iowa State Fair to see the big show at the stand. Like I remember the first one was like six or seven years old and it was like Sugar Ray, okay. 98 Degrees and Fastball. Nice. And then I saw ZZ Top. <laughs> I saw ZZ Top. For those of you at home, we're now looking at a live <laughs> video feed of Joe's six-month-old. And that's the only. We've not even made that public, so if, oh. it, if it becomes a famous show, then okay, like well, we, we can take this out and post. It's all right. <laughs> no one will believe it anyway. Sorry. No, it's fastball. Quite, yeah, that's quite a lineup. Night it fastball, fastball and sugar ray. Sugar ray. I, wow. I remember that one. That is a moment in time. That's a. It was a specific moment. <laughs> yes. <in time. laughs> But yeah, so he would take me to shows at the Grandstand and at the Iowa State Fair, and then he took me to uh, uh, Parliament Funkadelic oh, wow. when I was 12. Now and that's that a was... show that's going to make an impression on a 12-year-old. Totally. I got two stories to interject. I'll go quick. Fastball, okay. I got Silent Atlantic. They had us rehearse at the big place, SIR in Hollywood, yes. and we were walking in there the first day. We didn't get signed yet, but we were getting. I knew it was happening, and they were starting to do stuff, and so they were paying for our stuff. And the uh, fucking, I walk in, and there's fastballs, road cases, there they are, piles. <laughs> and it said fastball stencil on there, and it was so impressive. I was like, that's where I want to be. And then Parliament, <laughs> one of the promoters in Hollywood, was like into my band, and they knew we had a good team, and I was 20, yeah. and they were like, okay, George Clinton wants to play a show tonight, but they don't want to bring their gear. You're opening for Parliament tonight what? at the Martini Lounge. Just bring your gear. Bring your gear. Okay. And they were paying George, They were paying the crew in, in eight balls, and the and the and it was <laughs> it was that M- M- Martini Lounge. I was so scared of oh the back. And it was my backstage. Yeah, I had already yeah, yeah. become a thing. The bartender loved us. Um, we they got our manager out of there. Burn the place down. The scene was just so seedy. But yeah, that was the that was the Parliament. That's funny. Yeah. All right. How did it impact you seeing those guys when you were 12 years old? Yeah, so I saw them. There's like 27 people on stage. Mm-hmm. Just the dude is dressed as a baby. And I was like, whoa, this is like, there's a guy in an alien costume and stuff. Wow, this is the level of conceptualization of this is something I didn't understand before. And I was like, that's cool. Yeah. Like, I like I liked how large of an idea he's thought of this. He's basically created his own. And then I went home and Googled it and stuff, you know. And read about him. He's like, he's created his whole world and genre of music. Yes. Who are the people who have done this in music? You know? <laughs> there's not there's not a lot of them. So I was. And, and sometimes also that all of that state the antics gets overshadowed. This he's a uh, he's like Duke Ellington level composer. Yes. Yeah, he's a genius, total genius. And then so was, I was like, wow, funk music is really cool. And he like kind of like developed it and then created an aesthetic to match that. And then he created a show to present that all the things together and that sort of blew my mind and that's where I was like I was like I was very into the rock show after that so okay. me and my friends would go down to this place called Vaudeville Muse in Des Moines it's the only rock club in Des Moines really um, there's more since but back when we were in high school it was the only one we would go down there and see whatever show for you know five bucks yep. that we could just if we were mildly interested so when you think about your performance what do you try and do as a performer now can you think about things that may have impressed you when you've seen shows that are particular performers that maybe have impacted the way you are as a performer? Sure, there was a, there was a, I was always impressed by uh, rappers because mm-hmm. we, we would go see, there was, there was this regional rappers like One Below and then Rhyme Sayers or these like St. Paul rap 
St. Paul, um, Minneapolis, like rap scene, they come down, and I was impressed how they how in, how intense they could perform for regardless of the size because it like no one would show up to the vaudeville news most of the time, right? But you know, and this is probably the smaller show on their on whatever tour that they do, but I was just like really taken aback by how intense they could. They could they could make you feel fear. They can make you feel mm. sorrow. They can make you feel all these things, and you're like one of five people here. It's like wow, that's really powerful. And then I would also um, like guitar players. I was interested in, in guitar players and how like what you're talking about how like you can um, all the things that they can encompass and present, and how powerful that emotional connection is through the instrument. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Now we're going to jump ahead to almost present time. You all band members, Cordovas, live in the same house. Yes. Um, how does the creative process, I mean, how has living in the same house impacted the creative process? I mean, it's built around the creative process. In fact, the, the living scenario is the, just basically the creation of, the, of that. Everything else came second. The first thing was center. Put the center point. If we can imagine the sun, is the creative process. The, it didn't matter what the planets were. The planets in this case happened to be moving to Nashville, um, getting a barn that was first day before beds were brought in, converted into the music studio. We knew exactly what where that was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, where people were going to sleep. Whether we were going to be able to do our B and B. How we were going to survive. How the fucking thing was getting paid for right how the hell we were going to pull this trick so in terms of actually the creation of a song songwriting how much of it is interactive so do you, would you joe come up with the idea for a song work on it then at some point bring it to someone else in the band and then maybe work on that from there or is it just from the ground up sharing ideas oh. Oh, you know, people aren't too good at keeping secrets, especially yeah. one of their secrets is a really good nugget of a chorus of a song. Mm-hmm. You start hearing it around the house, but it's, it's also the job of a professional to recognize this is not the end of the world. It's not the last day. I mean, we're, we're fucking Buddhists and Zen guys or whatever, man. We believe in this is, you know, keep death at your heels and all that, but don't come spouting every idea out and thinking it's a great song and send it to Ben Harper like I did. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> um... Refine them as part of our business and then bring them forth at the appropriate time. There's appropriate time for all these things. That's one of the things with having a house is that now you've allowed yourself a system. You've allowed yourself a regimen to to get the way that guys get into their groove so that you can finally get into the uh, dealing with this very question, right? You can't be... How are we going to do that today at your house? Like, we can get into our groove today and be like, okay, no, it's just like you're so, it's, you you're so in flux. So if you live it, then that does not. Then you're just going to walk up there and it's going to be your natural next thing. You walked, you took a shit, you take a thing, brush your teeth, picked up the guitar, you wrote your song. Oh, your guy's right there. He wrote the song with you. Right. It's not, not, not too genius. Luca, you had been writing songs before you came into this operation. Had you done much cooperative songwriting before? Or were you writing simply on your strictly on your own before you came into this Cordova situation yeah I had a, we had an apartment this uh, band that I was okay. in before this and and me and my friend John would write songs all the, all the okay. time and he was he was writing songs before before I was so, so he, you know I would I would just sort of like 
get us through the song, finish the song, okay. finish another song, figure out what song's good, that whole thing was happening. So is there a moment now when you have an idea for a song or the beginnings of a song when you say, okay, this is now something I want to show to these other people. That's like a level of kind of opening yourself up. Is that like a conscious thing that happens or is it more of, as Joe says, it's just part of the daily life that ideas come out and are shared? The, the development is definitely that, that part, that part. And so it sort of just develops and develops and develops, but I, I'm not sure if there's an exact moment where it's just like, okay, we're going to share it or mm-hmm. if, if there is, it's after... It's the, the reason why I word it that way is important because you don't want all that job. Don't get all that bullshit into your head. Don't bother, don't, don't bother, bother thinking about it. Your stupid uh, white boy suburban emotions aren't so important that we should be worried about <laughs> when to reveal it to our friends. Yep. Be a pro. And that's why I said it that way because I want it to sound really like North Korean. Okay. And like, don't, we have got patted on the back so much just by being born white. Let's get and then and that really gets down to our thing now. Are we talking about being Scientologists and not having emotions? No, I'm talking about having real emotions and not celebrating fake suburban ones. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's just like God, dude, just do your job. Are you a worthy thinker? Are you a worthy feeler? Do you feel good things? Guess what? If you weren't, you wouldn't even be here. Neither would I. What are we doing? Let's believe in ourselves today. Do your job, and then we start getting into that sentimentality, and we start going, oh, and that can be. We know very well, all of us as Americans and Westerners, it's bad, bad. It starts to mount up on people Mm -hmm. and causes a lot of depression. Do you find Joe's brand inspiring, Luca? I I, I agree with that a lot. I Mm -hmm. think the more sentimental the thing is, the less artful it actually becomes because it turns into your sentiment and not... Which is kind of maybe a good thing when we're to wave a flag at ourselves when we're writing those songs. Like, oh, let's see if I can get that. Yeah. But just to not treat it like it's the, like, you know, man, like the songs are arm or something. Like, yep. Come on. They're not your children. No, dude. Luca brought a bunch of really good pieces of music together. We, we did basic maintenance to them and they, mm-hmm. and they got better. Well, uh, I'm going to interrupt you because yeah. I'm going to jump to a specific song. Uh, I'm the one. Right? The perfect example. That was your song, Luca, from before you came to the band, right? Mm-hmm. So can you tell me a little bit of the origin story on that song as you Still wrote it? Still a song. And then, the only writer. Yeah. So can you talk about the, the, the writing of that song or the ideas behind it? or? Yeah, I was I was living in that apartment I mentioned and it was just sort of this this an, an idea that I developed over time and then became, you know, when I would go play a coffee shop in Des Moines or whatever, it would be the one where I'm like, okay, so when am I going to play this song in the set? Because it was there's I, a part of that con- because it was special. There's song a part of that kind of that I don't understand. I have to ask a question. If the whole okay. band was there, then you were, then you're lying. It was you and a guy because if it was the whole band, it defeats the purpose. You the whole band, you start the band up and start playing the songs, right? With the whole band living there with the drums in the corner. Is exactly what the Cordovers are doing. You and John Pope are not that. No. You still don't have that machine to go and lay it into. I can go, here's my dad, now listen. Drummer standing right there, five, six, seven, eight. Yes. The reason why this matters is because it costs a lot of money, it costs a lot of soul searching, it costs a lot of pride swallowing to put yourself in that environment where mm-hmm. five shitting, breathing, eating boys. Creative. Creative yes. in their in their twenties and thirties, mm-hmm. trying to get this together, 
I venture to say that that part was more you being on your own in, in whatever apartment, you know, because it's important to the way that I see the story. If you had a really great songwriter around you, you wouldn't need the Cordova. No doubt. I was going to say, I had, I, we kept, kept that, that was like separate from what we were doing in that band. Like, I was just writing songs in the, in the back room by myself while they were doing whatever else because they would like, they would like to go out to the bars and stuff at night and I would hang out by myself and, and try to play the guitar right you know so there was there was definitely a separation happening so how is the song that we hear on the new record different than what you wrote in that previous uh, arrangement it's it's much different because we went down to Mexico that first year and that was one of the songs and that we were working with um, at Joe's place and I remember the first thing we did was speed it up just had the idea to play it faster and then okay. it just sort of transformed and there was I think there was one or two lyric changes or something was there a lyric change There's, there was not, not, I don't know about lyric changes but there was a lot of maintenance that happened yeah. but the speeding up was something that kind of made you think about it in a different way there was, there was some restructuring different chord uh, revoiced re, re, re chords mm-hmm. basic production So far, we have. Yes. Yeah. So that's like a couple of months in the winter, generally? Is that... Pretty much. Um, and do you find that time to be more productive as a band than your time in Tennessee? Or is it just different? The story's gotten away from it. A lot of people ask us, um, and because you know we're being interviewed so much, people are so curious what we have to say and how we feel and think about the world. <laughs> just say something different every time. People, well, no... <laughs> People have, because it's a romantic thing to think about. What really happened is it got so romantic. We got so much fucking work in Mexico done the first two years. Uh, and we came back and got our band really, whatever we were doing down there really was working, which was essentially compressing a bunch of rehearsal time and philosophy, especially into a small amount of time. Um, that we came back and did good. And then our festival left us no time to write. We didn't write okay. one song last winter because we got swept away by our own music festival. So. Success has spoiled us. Spoiled your creative abilities down there. The spoils of success yeah, have spoiled us. It's, it's a horrible story. So, on the album, you have a producer, Kenneth Patton Gale, Milk Carton Kids, right? Obviously, a very talented, successful artist in his own right. Um, but you all have been working on these songs for a long time. And I guess this gets back to it's not your arm, it's not your, your child. Mm-hmm. So, 
Did you find it not difficult to turn these songs over to an outsider, if you will, and have him? We had a master's degree, and it's not your arm at that point, right? So, not an issue to bring in a producer and hear what he has to say about your your creations. Hmm. Well, that's that would be to diminish his genius, Mm -hmm. because if he wasn't the smartest room guy in the room, then I can assure you he wouldn't have lasted very long. (laughs) His music is obviously very. vocal harmony driven so did he bring a lot of that to to his work with you guys he's as good at every aspect of pop music as he is that very wow. small one. so all of it yeah i'm sure he's been able to tear into other artists probably better than me us cordobas but he had the most forceful brave approach to me at least than mm-hmm. any producer and I've worked with very good guys well, very I've, good guys I've, I've known only briefly but you seem to be a pretty strong personality so I can see why we're talking about something that yes. I do every day man I mean yes. what you want, let's talk about your thing and right. I'll just sit there and listen yes. I'll have a thousand questions I don't I saw your fucking graphs I don't know what that shit is <laughs> I was like is he, make, is he inventing a t-shirt I don't, I don't know, know what, what it is either is. don't worry about it yeah that's some is tie-dyed new <laughs> shit I don't know no it's a graph like oh god what do you mean what I do I'm a podcaster oh, that's right yeah, 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 yeah. you're gonna be the famous one after this one <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right so this is gold you, radio this gold. is gold i think this is this we, we got a winner here this i think i may have heard this on the radio already mm-hmm. your second grade friend uh so you recorded these songs live in the studio do i have that right so you were all in the same room playing singing mm-hmm. what was that a decision that you had to make or was that always just the way this music was meant to be recorded if I was producing it and the band could even get close to performing in the studio at that level, I would have no choice but to at least hear them play it and hear it through the speakers. And I think that was what his approach was, simple okay. enough. Oh, I didn't think we were quite good enough to really attack an album level take yeah. and sing at the same time. But that didn't matter to Kenneth because Kenneth was dealing with 35 takes, which is, I'd simply never worked that way. <laughs> So you were playing and singing. Oh, yeah. It was literally live in that sense. Oh, yeah. So this leads me to the next issue. Do you see the songs that you were, the recorded versions of your songs, and then the live versions, do you think of them as two different things, kind of two versions of the song? I do. Yeah, I do too. In what sense? There's just, there's, we play them differently live. Yeah. So, I mean, in the, the sense of just hearing them they they hit you differently mm-hmm. and there's I've run the gamut on making them unrecognizable from the record that's not smart um, but to, to have the subtle nuance that a, that, a, that, a, that a learned ear might catch and that even people that don't really know how to identify it with their ears still will appreciate some difference something. that's occurring mm-hmm. um, that's what is important and then of course we have out and out you know jams and improvised yes. sections built into the songs which aren't, of course, meant to dis- distract from them. Right. It's supposed to enhance the live thing. Okay, this might seem like a stupid question, and you can say so, and we'll just edit it completely out. But along those lines, there are a lot of songs, I can't say a lot, there were a number of songs on the record that are like under three minutes, and there's several that are just over three minutes. Those are pretty short. And you guys are, I saw you play last night, you like to jam. You are an amazing, tight group of musicians. So was that a conscious decision to keep a number of those songs short or is that just what the song was Kenneth yeah um, we could have he could have been like put a jam on this and we probably did try I don't okay. care it was you know man I really oh god 
it was a nice experience. I just was staying out of the way. Uh, it's all kind Interesting. of how, how the order, you know, he's like, what do you think about the order? I said, you've already come this far, bro. Pick the order too. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think was in his mind keeping the song short? You don't, it's just what he thought, what he heard. I don't know. I also think he trying to pick the best songs and they happen to be the length that they okay. happen to be. Right. You know, the, these were not things that had like, I've, I've dealt in, in, from in a producer's chair songs that didn't have proper endings and they had very strong things but we did, they didn't have quite fixed dialed quite made perfect yet you know yeah. uh, like a, you could tell this is the thing and here's a little tag on a little special thing um, we had that we, we knew how we, I knew that we needed that our song that was the thing with Love Needs You and I didn't need to rewrite this song I needed to bring it to the people yeah um, make it a little bit shine a little bit okay that light's on it but what if we went this light oh now you can see the shadows and it's the three dimensional who knew that you know um, that's what we were doing and so our, our arrangements were good what Kenneth was doing was getting the right take okay and then the, and you would do 30, 40 takes Needs You Tonight was the second take we might have done seven more okay. I, I think maybe the most we did was 20 okay but, but, well, still a lot from, I, I was used <laughs> to doing three and then going in there and fixing it Okay, so question I sometimes ask songwriters is, um, is there some point in the process when they consider a song to be finished, like this is done, or is it more of a living thing that they may come back to later if their outlook on the lyrics or the way they hear it changes? So I think this is an interesting question for you because on the new album you have two songs that were previously recorded on another mm-hmm. um, on another album you put out, right? So it's... Uh, Porch and Step Back Red. So can you talk about that decision to include those songs on this record? Uh, Kenneth, yeah. I didn't have any... I didn't have any. He, he, he had seen enough of our shows and knew our music well enough. I had sent him full tapes. Yep. He had made an uh, incredible amount of notes. My suspicion, because I was just in a meeting uh, with my managers thinking about this, these songs, is that... Uh, Standing on the Porch of Song was written 10 years ago about my grandfather walking outside and uh, threatening to kill himself to hit to my mom and her and all the kids in there, and he was gonna go on the front porch and shoot himself with a shotgun. Stand on the porch with a gun in his hand, just became. Why was he scaring them? Because he could. Yeah. Because he's a mean bastard, right? And 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 uh, being born in nineteen uh, in two, year two thousand, white was not good enough for him. He needed he needed to, to bring that down. Um, two thousand eighteen. Kind of means something different. Means something. It? Yes. Doesn't matter what my little fucking cute story I just told you was. I think he wanted to put uh, Cordova's in the front of that. And the same thing happened in Step Back Red. We were in Nashville turning right off of Broadway going out to Madison uh, to have a barbecue, you know, at our fucking first Cordova's house. And a fiery, purely redheaded kid walks out in the street and we almost hit him. I go, Step Back Red! Nobody cares about that cute story. What Step Back Red means in 2018 is something different. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean for that to happen. I'm talking to myself. I'm the redneck in the story who went to Cal- California yes. and lost his money. When we sing it in the audience, you can't help but think that we're saying step back red. Yes. Right. Yes. In yeah. 2018. And that, and that, I think, is what Kenneth was doing. Interesting. Step 
that whole thing. He, that character is a returning character. So he was just sort of embodied in this dude I met in Nashville at a job I had at a at a restaurant. And so I just sort of built it from there. So it started with a particular person in mind. But his that that specific person's irrelevant. Images from other people that I've known that are attributed to that anti-hero, as you said. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it, it came. It's it's real real people. Waitress sisters love him and miss him. Try to keep him on the phone. He's waited and laughed, his dream of fitness gleaming in the corner alone. Ah, the fast food cooks in this town know him in these days. They call him back like his diner queen. And he tells his boys they're all pigs. Lie to his friends when he's in need. Ignore him when he's alone. Selfish loner, manipulative stoner, always calling yet. Picture. You both were writing songs for a long time. Joe, how do you think you have changed as a songwriter over the years? What have you maybe gotten better at, or has your approach or uh, technique changed? I've gotten more calculated to 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 uh, to the detriment of the music. Yeah, like thinking about that product. When you're young, Paul Simon says, when you're young, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, so everything's good. When you get a little bit older, you start to realize that the shit that you were thinking was wrong, so you wouldn't dare put that forward. But when you're young, you don't really care because you don't know that it's wrong yet, and you're right. brazen. Um, you know, man, I don't. I, I've 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 put music out uh, that people really love. You were at a show last night where people like really like the stuff that it was a very you know my older stuff. And I've been that person who had to go and confront that and be that behind that piano and sing there and go and figure out how I'm going to be that guy in that space and have that story match up with the right ah, motivation, you know, and make it sincere the way that I, what I think sincere is and what, what I think sincerity is today, which isn't the same as it was in 2003, by the way, uh, when you're 21, too. Your, your perspective on sincerity. Yeah, man. Yes. And so we were talking about for all these things, 2018, are you guys writing, is, is the songs that you're writing important? What are you doing? What is it saying? Um, you become more aware of all those things. and So you are maybe self-censoring more than you used to, and that's not necessarily to a, a good thing. Correct. Okay. Yeah, you want to be able to flow, man, keep it mm-hmm. flowing, let it, let, you know, get it, get it, get the page open and, and let it roll. Um but you know those our culture, the way that artists get received, the whole the whole system here, family, the whole thing here, can bash down even some real uh, what you said is a r- ranting, strong-minded mm-hmm. person. You know. So, are there things that you think you can do to try and go back to that writer you were to yes. get back in that space? Yes, training. Yes, discipline. Yes. Anything specific? Um, yeah, you would want to have discipline, so you would want to address 
through discipline, you train with discipline, right? A good, mm-hmm. good training, good work. And then we get down to the actual vital categories that we need to have discipline and be training at. In this case, remembering, first of all, what that open nozzle felt like when we were guitar one, guitar two, guitar one, two, yes. three, right? What was that all about? That's a, that's a good song. What's the fucking guitar? Guitar. That's the song. What's the song about? It's about guitars, man. <laughs> John Lennon, baby. So let's remember that kid and remember if we can, like Marcel Proust, what he was thinking about. What? Okay. That's that. Mem- that's that category. It's the memory category of when we were doing it, or when we were sixteen and we're playing with our first high school band. We all hit that downbeat for the first time, and mm-hmm. in our, in our, we get goosebumps. We go, "Oh, that was a chorus." Yeah, yes. And the drums start speeding up, and they blew it. <laughs> Um, and we remember what that was about, and what was what, what was that core? It was any old core. It didn't matter. It was just a core. Okay, so a chorus has power. Okay, so remember those things. Remember that we're not trying to make the the, the study on nuclear uh, physicists, whatever. We're trying to song sing a song about guitars or guns. It doesn't need to be a complex thing. That's why it's a three minute pop song. Yeah. You're not a professional jazz interviewer because we don't know what the fuck we're talking about Joe. we can't get into it we don't i wouldn't be able to answer two questions but when we're talking about three minute songs from 1968 to 75 style the production style all that's where we kind of want to live yeah we want to address that category and then of course in the discipline factor means we're gonna have to do a lot of research Mm. how about you luca how do you think you have changed as a songwriter over the years I've I've learned I've learned how to th- how to think more on a microscopic level um, from seeing how how Joe does it um, was a huge thing. But the little just, things that matter. Yes, but it's yeah, but it's like you're thinking about your you're thinking about your song and not getting too cl- too close to it. Whereas you just think it's like your first idea is your best idea. Right. That whole thing and allowing allowing time to enter. So working on the song more than you might have before to make it better exactly yeah I was working on that I was watching the Ken Burns thing and says Sonny Rollins said he was right in the middle of the music in other words really aware of all the details and he was also hovering above it at the same same time time. so he's looking down going well the big picture is certainly what's most important because if you're down there in the middle you fucking get lost in the thing details doesn't make the people in the audience cry you've lost the point but you do need to have an eye on both things don't you Yes. At, at, at best. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about live performing briefly. I, I saw you guys last night for the first time, and uh, let's just say you won me over as live performers. There was definitely something happening up there, um, that, that live music magic that you, it's hard to put your finger on. Obviously, talented musicians, very tight, incredible skills, great songs, but it was the something else. Um, and, and how would you try and describe what you're trying to do to make that something else? Joe? I think every guy's going to have a different answer. My answer would be I've seen a lot of cats. I've, I've had really great bands. Very uh, fortunate to have played with geniuses. My mom is a genius. My dad is very, 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 very good guitar player. You know, high-level writer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, emotion matters most. Emotion. And then you get to the point where, you know, um, I've seen a lot of bands with emotion. You know, there's a white boys up there with suspenders, and he's strumming the guitar as hard as he can, and he's sweating, and it's emotional. <laughs> Here um, we go. <laughs> no, I can't. I don't know. So I'm. Pr- we want to be like. Let's make sure it's emotion that 
not doesn't make any person who's read two books vomit. Right. Okay. That's what we're talking about, you know, like Luca presence I think being present in the thing so you know he's talking about the, the dude sweating suspenders like over emotion it's just yes. it's the worst so it's I think what I've been trying to think about at least recently is, is um yeah, suspender guy. sweat man that's suspender sweat man. that's the master of the suspender yeah. sweat man and that's, and $22 that's, hat that's jive what it my life, my emotions are so important that I must divulge them and bang on this. We're, we're not going to mention the name. No, of course not. But, but I refuse about. to actually get better at the guitar. I don't want the 35 years of my life to show that I actually did anything other than go, I'm 16 and the girls want to hear what I have to say. Yeah. And maybe like, I'll Joe, get Joe some Joe just pussy. pointed to a, to a tour poster on the wall and there was a certain artist name there. That's what inspired that little... It's like is that is that guy present in that night? Is he going around and figuring out the the select few that are at his show and figuring out what the vibe is? What what's going on? Mm -hmm. Does he he care about that? You know what is what is the exact meeting of this? What's the point of all this? Am I going to overdo it? Am I just going to show up and give this overly unnecessarily emotional situation for all these people? And then when they don't buy it, am I going to be bummed out and just move on to the next one? Exactly. So you're talking about being present. For that show, and it may be a different way of being present than the show. I'm just talking about trying to be before. connected and yes. not and not be like just try to do your best to be an authentic person yeah. when you're up there on the goddamn stage. Yes. It's like it's like it's not you're not James Brown every goddamn night like that guy thinks he is. Right. You know, it's like James Brown could do that because he was James Brown every night. Yes. Yeah, and every day, the yeah, cafe and the whole thing. Everywhere. At the shitter, you know. Um, well, I am definitely looking forward to. This evening, Cordovas are actually putting on a show here at Tell You What Studios, and uh, we're all really looking forward to it. So I'm going to finish up with one kind of big picture question. Um, if you take a step back and look at your life as a creator of art, is there something like an overriding principle or a holy grail or something you are striving for that drives you? or? Or is there like maybe something you would like to look back and say, I did this kind of thing, that I created this thing that? Can you kind of finish that question at all? No, I mean, I could uh, just because it's, it's a clever enough question and stuff, but um, <laughs> well, <laughs> and I can give you a good answer. I mean, it's, it's fine, but I mean, I know everybody else would give you a good answer. A suspender boy would give you a really long good answer. Here's the deal, man. Like, um, <laughs> I'm an underachiever. That's what my day is filled with. So anything not fucking, anything fulfilling our 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 real thing and at that on your day, is your thing. I mean, yeah, it gets into the the muse and the, all this, the stars. I'm fine. No, dude, I'm an underachiever. I feel pitiful about myself the days that I don't write songs when I'm not hot on the pursuit like a rabid fox of that fucking of that food of that payoff of that creation of, of making music everything else makes you feel miserable and then when you look back and realize oh I only wasted 50 billion hours looking at my cell phone I only wasted another 50 billion hours with the television in front of my face well why celebrate it we're all underachievers I mean it's just who did it so that's I, I, we, I, we tell ourselves all the time we don't want to be the pat ourselves on the back band keep working Luca is there something you're trying to do like a goal or principle when you create, like I want to make a song that 
ultimately does this, or I want to create a body of work that does something. I don't think there's an, like, an interloping of the cosmos happening, you mm-hmm. know? I think it's more like, this is American rock and roll, and okay. we've all loved this for a long time. This you got is, a band. Don't overthink yeah. it. Use yeah, it. exactly. This is, you like, you like American, do you like the music where your country's from or not? Do you like folk music yeah. or not? His girlfriend's paying for everything. Shut up and fucking eat your ravioli and go play, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's pretty simple. Yeah. Play, play hard. And then we got play good hard. gigs, and then you start going, well, that's, Okay. Now it's not just about ravioli, it's about these good gigs, and that's fun. Mm-hmm. And you certainly don't feel like you're not achieving when you're in the middle of your gig, especially if you're not a drunk, wasting it. Last night's show is the best show I've ever played in my life. And will you say that tomorrow? I don't know. Probably yeah. not. Yeah. How do you? If we had those kind of things, I think we would probably be at a bit bigger clip. We're only yeah. picking up two people a day right now, you know. No. But, we're, but, but that should be how it is. You should yes. be working towards that, man. My thing last night was, you know, okay, you got things. It's going to sound pretty good. You got some reverb. But no, the vocal's going to be loud out there. Really try to sing softly and in tune tonight and see what effect that has. Well, my impression was it was the best show I have. And then I walked off there. Two people had seen me play 50 times. And both of them said that. And they had never said that in any of those other 50 times. Yeah. I felt something in that room. But I have a prediction that tonight's show will be better. The setting. I feel as though I feel it in my bones. Luca, would you agree? Yeah, it has the possibility right. of being right. the, the possi- best show ever. I they agree all do. The possibility <laughs> is there. All right. Well, thank you uh, both very much for taking the time. Uh, we're all very excited about the record. So, if we drop a penny off the off the balcony here, it's going to like go three feet into it the will, concrete. Because we're 151 stories up right. and in Tell You What Tower, so. Um, like gargoyles live up here. We'll go try that next. Um, but thanks, it's like guys. A gargoyle just went by the window. <laughs> All right. See it in Santa Fe. Won't be far away. Won't be far behind. Don't let your mind get in the way. Well, I hope you found that discussion as much fun as I did. Lots going on there. Let me say that my prediction did indeed come true. The show Cordova's put on here at Tell You What Studios several hours after the interview was, in fact, their best ever. Even better than the show they did the night before. They made a lot of new fans and we all had a blast. Everyone out there, all of you, should go to one of their shows. You will not be disappointed. They are my definition of a great live music experience. Check out Cordova's great new album, That Santa Fe Channel, on ATO Records. It's in all the usual places. If you're interested in finding out about the music festival that Joe and the band run in Todos Santos, Mexico, it is called the Tropic of Cancer Concert Series. And you can find info on that on the web. Maybe I'll meet you all there in January. Stay tuned for more episodes of Tell You What the Podcast. We have a few more interviews scheduled over the next month or so. Until then, remember... Music is the best. See it in